Josh preached last week on uh, another lesson about discipleship. And, uh, he introduced a passage uh, I want to dig a little deeper on and take it to uh, a step further. That was the one in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. It said, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to your goodness knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, to self-control uh, perseverance to perseverance, goodness to goodness, mutual affection into mutual affection, love. And I want to center and focus in on the phrase, make every effort. This phrase, make every effort, it occurs nine times in the New Testament. And every one of those times he's talking uh, to a church in their relationship with one another or to an individual in his own spiritual life. Uh, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. That was Jesus. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and your election. Make every effort to remember these things. That's a good one. And then make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Now when you take these phrases, this make every effort, I want to add another phrase that communicates the same message, the same principle. Okay, And that is the phrase, see to it. All right? So we have make every effort and say, See to it is also used nine times in the New Testament, although it's only five of those times that it's talking to either a church um, or a, uh, an individual about their spiritual walk. Uh, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root builds up. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Tell Archippus, see to it. That you complete the ministry that you have received from the Lord. See to it that no one takes you captive with hollow and deceptive philosophy. And see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. That's kind of an interesting, scary one there. When someone tells us to, to, to make every effort or to see to it, it implies something. Matter of fact, it implies several things. And as I was going over this... It implies things. For, one thing it implies, it, it implies expectation. It's, it's giving, a, it's a charge. There's an expectation. When someone, your boss, say, tells you, you see to it, I know that boss expects me to see to it. I can't come back to the boss and go, well, you know, I mean, Reuben is the guy that dropped the ball, not me. And the boss goes, no, I told you, see to it. The boss, there's an expectation that goes with it. Also, there's a, it implies an importance. It's, it's something that's important. It's not like, you know, oh, hey, look, you know, I got, I got five things on my list. I got five things I'd like for you to do. Let's, let's, let's take our boss again. He goes, Here, here's some things I'd like you to, uh, to accomplish. However, number two, you see to it that that one happens. So you recognize, okay, if I've got to prioritize some of this stuff, I want to make sure that one certainly happens. Because it implies an importance. It also implies responsibility. I'm holding you responsible 
for this thing happening. Personal, see to it. And lastly, it implies initiative. Okay, it means I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm not going to give you the structure. I'm not going to give you the A, B, C, D. This is how you pull this off. You just make sure it happens. I'm going to let you figure out how. Okay? So you're going to have to take some initiative. Now, you've got all these passages. There's 14 passages, like I said, that would either apply to a church in its relationship to one another or to us as individuals in our own spiritual walk. But I, I want to just pick three of them. I'm going to read them again that are kind of representative of all of them. Okay? But there are, you know, like I said, there's 14 of them. But 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 is the one that says, So then, dear friends... Since you are looking forward to this, and that this he's talking about is judgment day, okay? So since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him, okay? The next one is Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, which says, see to it, brothers and sisters. So this is talking to all of us, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And then the lastly, kind of as our representative verse, is a little bit later in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 15, which says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now the reason we're focusing on this for the whole month here, and we've got this lesson, another lesson, then a whole workshop that we're going to add, maybe make our service a little bit longer. Uh, on this is because as a church we have not been seeing to it and making every effort that this happens. We've taught it. We've encouraged it. We've said go out and get this. Go out and do this. But as a church we have not been making every effort. Now why is this? Well Let's go back a little history. Those of you maybe that are younger or some of our guests, we were known and used to be known as a discipling ministry. That's what we were called. Oh, that's a discipling church, a discipling ministry, because we had this structure set up that everybody had someone in their life. We called them discipleship partners. Okay, used to be prayer partner, but then it was expanded to discipleship partner. It was someone set up, and as soon as you came into the church, either if you moved in or you were baptized and you came in, you were given a discipleship partner, and we were called a discipleship ministry. Now, there were some challenges with some of this stuff, but it was what made us unique. It's what made us different. You know, one of the uh, uh, discipleship groups that, that I've been privileged to be a part of uh, we meet on Monday mornings, and uh, one of the brothers there had shared that you know he, he's part of our church for a long time, but he left for a while. Mm-hmm. Left and left the church and went out, and he said, I need God, so he'd go. He said, I went to all these other churches in town, and I would even be involved in these other churches. I would volunteer and help out, you know, and do things in these other churches, but nobody was involved in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody was trying to help me be spiritual. And I knew if I had to, if I was going to get, I had to come back here. That's the way it was. That discipling, it was unique. It's why Phyllis and I, as I shared a few weeks ago, why we moved 1,400 miles away from home to move to Boston to be a part of a church that had that because 
we couldn't find it in Texas. Why? Well, Josh pointed out last week, right? Because it's obsolete and archaic. Yeah. yeah. It, and, and I find that to be true. It's as part of what I do to prepare for a lesson. You know, I kind of get a topic and a focus. I, I have this website I go to that hundreds and hundreds of other preachers from all kinds of different churches and, and, and faiths and looking at things, they share their sermons on here. And I say, what are other people saying about this topic? I just kind of do a research. Right. I couldn't find any. Not on the topic of really being involved in each other's lives and seeing to it and the responsibility to see to it that no one has a sinful, unbelieving heart. I couldn't find one out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of preachers. Why? Because it's obsolete <laughs> and archaic. So we came in with the, doing this as a church. It, it brought some challenges, and I'm, I'm not going to go into what the challenges were. It's not really why we're here, but what it did is it intimidated us into pulling back. It intimidated us into holding back. And we, although we still said it was a good idea and encouraged it, like I said, we told people to go find it. And, and some people did. Some people who was part of their Christian DNA or whatever, you know, they, they went and did it. Others just didn't do it. Some tried but couldn't get it arranged. You know, again, Josh shared a little bit about that last week. You know, you, you go talk to somebody. And they say, I'd love to, but, you know, I'm already in this kind of a relationship with two or three other people. I really can't. Well, that's understandable, but, but I asked two people that and three people that, and they all say that. Then I start to think, like, Man, maybe it's me. Maybe people just, maybe I'm broken and they can't fix me. Maybe they don't really love me. Maybe I'm not very important. And then Satan starts dogpiling all these negative things on us. And it's really nothing to do that with that, but, but, but we start feeling it, so forget it, and you just give up. So, we stopped making every effort. We stopped seeing to it that no one had a sinful, unbelieving heart. We stopped making every effort to make sure that everybody had the best possible opportunity to assure that they were found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And that's on me as a lead evangelist. But that's why we're changing it. And the elders and their wives, they're completely behind it. We've got to change this. Why? Because that's what the word calls us to be. <laughs> so we started matching up people who, who need and want this type of discipling relationships in our life. And our goal, we want to make every effort. We want to see to it that every member of this church has that opportunity, every opportunity possible and available to have this benefit, this tool, this thing that will help them be the best they can be for God. But some are cautious. Dare I say, some are resistant. So again, that, that D group I was talking about, about three or four weeks before we really got into this, I started talking to them because I do, I bounce a lot of things off of these guys because we got about 300 years worth of experience in the Lord. That group. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they, they, they talked about one of the main reasons, one is that the hesitation is I don't want people telling me what to do. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I said, well, let's talk about that. Come on, let's talk. Now, now, one of the brothers, he just shared recently, he goes, you know what, I've been thinking about this and one of the scary things, like I said, back in the day, back when, 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 when we had someone who would just tell you this person's discipling you. 
day. That was one of the challenges that we had back then. He said, I was always nervous. I was always scared. Are they going to like me? Are they not going to like me? Are they going to be mean? Are they going to be bossy? Whatever. He goes, when I think back on it, the vast majority of the time, it was great. It really was fine. I would, I'd be scared, but it was really great. But we still have these things. And I want to talk about this. Somebody's telling me what to do. Now, I want us to all remember. We know this, but I want to remind us. We are all in a volunteer army. Okay? We're all here because we're volunteering. And on this earth... I have the final veto <laughs> on my life. Now, maybe on Judgment Day, I don't, okay? God's going to take over. But right now, he's given me, he goes, dude, you can do what you want to do, literally. You can do what you want to do. You have the final authority. Some people say, well, you're brainwashing people. I'm going, are you kidding me? I'm not brainwashing it. If I could, my teens, I'd do it, but I couldn't. It'd make my life easier. <laughs> Anybody who's had teenagers, you would say, yeah, I'd do it. But no, everybody has it. We do what we do. Because we decide to do it. We ultimately make that decision. And I learned that in my life. Where's the authority? Well, according to Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And of Jesus... The Apostle Paul said in, in Ephesians 1, he said, uh, God, God gave Jesus far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, that every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, in the age to come, God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything in the church. Ultimately, Jesus is the only real authority. That's it. Jesus. None are greater than Jesus. That's why I encourage people. You've got to get the Bible out. Because that's really the only authority that we have. But even then, it's my decision as to whether or not I submit to him or not. It's still your decision. You can read it in the word, but even Jesus is not going to make you do anything. I still have the decision. And I can say, I just don't believe that. I know it's what it says. I don't believe it. Many people do. Mm-hmm. Or we could just say, well, okay, yeah, but I don't care. I want to do this, and we'll do that. Or, if you still got a religious but you know, scratch you want to itch, you know, or an itch you want to scratch, you say, well, I, I found this church over here. They say, I don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's still me. I've still got, ultimately, the authority to make my own decisions. Yeah, well, that's you, but what about people? See, other people in my life trying to have authority. Again, people only have the authority in my life that I give them. That's right. That I hand them. Now, yeah, church leaders, we have church leaders here, and because somebody's got to make a decision. We start at 1030, all right? Except on March the 1st when we start at 10. But we tell everybody we're starting at 1030, therefore, theoretically, we can all sort of semi-show up at the same time, and we can start our service together. We don't have authority over doctrine. We don't have the authority to get together and say, well, we took a vote, and we decided this used to be a sin, but hey, it's modern days. It's not a sin anymore. We don't have that kind of authority. That's still Jesus' authority. We got other kinds of things that make some make decisions that have to be. But other than that, guys, we don't have that type of authority. Even over somebody's life, I don't have authority. 
I don't have authority. We have to give authority. The whole knife illustration that I shared when I gave that knife to that brother and said, okay, this represents, I'm giving you permission to disciple me, to challenge me, even on matters of opinion. I want you to talk to me about it. We only have the authority that we give them. And beyond that, everything else is advice and opinion. And I can either accept it or reject it. I can accept part of it or do whatever. Now, in my life, I understand. I, I want to weigh who is giving the advice. Okay? I want to weigh the who and the what very, very carefully. There's a, a passage in Hebrews 13, verse 7. It's not going to end up on the screen because I just threw it in this morning. But it says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The principle he's saying here is the people that are talking to you, that are giving you advice and opinions, look at their life and say, do I want, their, do I want that? Right. If so, imitate their faith. The challenge is, is a lot of us want stuff. We just don't want to do what it takes to get there. Right. But it's because I can't have what they have unless I do what they do. And there's these times, I mean, and this happened several times with us. I know other people. You get with this young married couple, and they're duking it out. They're fighting. They're arguing. They're yelling. And you're trying to help them. You know, I say, look, I've been doing this 30 years. I'm just trying to help you get this. No, you don't get it. You don't understand. Well, I don't know if I do or not, but, but I know what I'm doing is working. And they're, ah, and, and, and they split up. And the couple trying to help them goes home. They have a great conversation on the way home. You know, they pray together, have great sex, go to bed and sleep soundly. <laughs> this other couple get mad, won't talk to each other for three days, and sit around going, those guys don't know what they're talking about. I'm going, which one do you want? Which one do you want? And I look and I look at people in my life and I go, and I've, I've been very, you know, I don't want that. Yeah, I don't want that. And there have been people in my life, even in the ministry, I told one brother, if being, you know, at that level of ministry is your life, I don't want it. I don't want to imitate that because I don't want that. But I've looked at others and said, I want what you got. How do I get that? Give me some input. That's what we're talking about. I'm giving him the authority. Tell me what to do. And that could be a good thing. I mean, athletes, they go up to the coach, tell me what to do. A musician goes to their teacher, their instructor, tell me what to do. Any student going to the professor, whatever, I want, I want to learn how, to, how do I do this. Not give me your advice, I'll take it if I want it. Although you have that authority. You have that authority. It takes humility. And on the other side of the coin, I've got to be okay with someone not taking my advice. Not taking my, they're not in the doghouse. I can be sad because I can say, but you ain't going to, okay. I mean, I'm I'm doubting how you're going to come out on this, but it's your choice. I had to share with someone this past week, you're not responsible for their marriage. You give them your help, you give them their advice, but it's their responsibility. Okay, because he was feeling really, man, I, I'm failing. I'm the, they're not changing. They're not. You're not responsible, man. 
If they're not taking it, that's not on you. And it's got to be okay. But it's up to you. Now, some people, they want to give you total authority. They want to say, fix me. (laughs) Get me to heaven. Fix my marriage. Fix my family. And, And again, that can have good aspects to it. Right? Like we shared, like there are certain things that's just, look, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. If I knew what I was doing, I would be doing it differently. Okay? I need help. Just tell me what to do. There is that. But then there's others. Like I had this one brother. is, is a great guy. Uh, first guy I ever discipled after moving to Boston. All right? He came up and he said, bro, I want you to find a wife for me. I respectfully declined. <laughs> I said, I- I'll help you out. I'll give you some input, but you're going to live with her. You're going to have to pick her out. Okay, that one's on you. And he found a wonderful woman, and they're still married and doing great. But, you know, his, his, his attitude was, you get everything. And I'm going, no, no, we're not going to do that. But we've got to have people helping us out. And see, when people give me advice, I want them to give the best input and the best advice they can possibly give for me. I'm very selfish about that. Okay? Therefore, Phyllis and I give the people in our lives, and, and, and that's more than one, but it's like, like Ed and Nancy Dawson or the elders and their wives or half a dozen other people. We give each other permission. Phyllis has permission to dime me out, and what that means is she can call any of them and tell them anything about me. It's not one of those, honey, that's private. That's between you and me. No, it's not. You got permission to tell them anything that they may need to know to help me. Nobody knows me better than her. And so she's got this insight. She may not know what to do with it, but she got it. So she can go, go talk to anybody you want to. Get them involved. Guess what? Those people, the Dawsons, the Cochrans, the Byers, the Tomlinsons, the Arnesons, the Wilsons, all these other people, they've got permission to go talk to anybody they want to to get more advice to help me. Because you know what? I want the best advice I can possibly get. And that's more important than my pride being hurt by maybe somebody else knowing I'm a bonehead because they've already figured that out anyway. So... They've got permission. And in a moment of lucid spirituality, I gave them that permission. Because when I'm in the middle of sin and temptation, I don't want anybody to know anything. That's when I draw the wagons around. So when everything's cool and calm, go talk to them, sure. And that's an open-ended thing. And I give them that authority to do that because I want them. And because I have seen... So many times, the pact of secrecy kill people, destroy people. I've seen it. And and, and understand, you got to, it gets confusing. I'm not talking about snitching. Now, this is what snitching is. Telling somebody else is not snitching. Throwing somebody else under the bus to keep yourself from getting thrown under the bus, that's snitching. Okay. So what happened in the Bible was someone from Chloe's household told Paul, these guys are fighting over here. We need help. That wasn't snitching. Yeah, come on. 
nor was it gossiping. It was someone saying, our house church leaders are going crazy. We need help. When someone in the church of Corinth told Paul, we got this dude and he's shacking up with his stepmom. We need help over here. They weren't snitching. And they weren't diamond him out or whatever. They, they, they were not gossiping. They were saying, we need help. We need your advice. What do we do? That's what I'm talking about. That spirit and having that, br- that, 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 that attitude of, you can talk. I've seen it so many times. And it breaks my heart that someone, you know, all of a sudden we think everything's going great. And then they, they're gone. They leave. They leave the church. And they run off with some guy or they run off with some girl. And then you learn, well, here's brother or sister X. They've known about this for three or four months. I'm going, what happened? He goes, well, they told me not to tell anybody. I'm going, well, you kept their pact. You kept the secret. But you didn't do them any good. I don't know if telling we could have helped. I don't know if we could have helped. But at least it would have been great to have the opportunity to make every effort. Come on. Come on, dude. This pact of secrecy sometimes. I'm not talking about just tell everybody everybody's business. We're hopefully mature enough to know that. But again, we've given them authority. You go talk. You do it. Because my growth, my health, my maturity, my marriage, my family is more important than my self-image. And I encourage all of us. We sometimes are hesitant and resistant to this because who's in charge? I don't want anybody telling me what to do. The other one is discipleship makes Christianity harder. I was hearing what Peter said, and I appreciated him sharing this morning. He talked about, yeah, it's, it's hard to take the initiative and get involved in other people's life. It's harder. Yeah. There's a whole lot more to it. It's not the easiest path, but it is the path to which we are called. And it is the path that's harder, but it's better. Here's what's easy. You come to church for an hour and a half on Sunday, maybe an hour on Wednesday, and that's it. That's you. There's Jesus. He's just serving you up a nice cool drink. Oh, this is easy. I come to church. Preacher tells me how much God loves me. Sing some songs, and I'm done. The easiest time Phyllis and I ever had in our walk with God was when we first moved to Boston. When we first moved there, we were not in the ministry at the time. Um, I've shared with you, we did not lead a uh, house church. We did not lead a Bible talk. We did not disciple anyone for a year. Okay? Phyllis finally got to disciple this young lady named Dawn, me, nobody. We don't want him messing with anybody's head. I don't know what they were thinking. We didn't go to meetings, all of that stuff. I could just go to church, sing, be happy, go home, relax. And it's easier, there's no pressure, there's no anxiety. There's no challenge caused by others. I could go to bed every night, lay down, go to sleep, and not worry about so-and-so's marriage or so-and-so's kids. Don't have to worry about it. That was easier. But here's the deal. What we learned, because we finally started going crazy. <laughs> we go, this isn't right. 
It's not working. And I realize I can't just go to church for an hour and a half on Sunday and maybe an hour on Wednesday and expect to grow and be happy and at peace with my God. Because it just doesn't feel right. Think about the words that most often describe Christianity. Love, give, care for, serve. All things that involve involvement with one another. When the Christian life is consistently, uh, it's, it's all we're doing is receiving biblical input or worship. And there's no outflow of ministry. There's no outflow of serving. There's no outflow of involvement with others or no evangelism. Soon, our spiritual growth stagnates. Impression without expression leads to depression. There you go. See, pouring yourself into others actually helps you. It helps you grow. Now, we talk about discipleship and the benefit it can bring you by having other people in your lives. But the whole other side of the story is it helps you when you're involved in other people's lives. Mm -hmm. It's one thing, but is it harder? Absolutely. But it's what helps you grow. It what helps you really go deeper. I've heard it said a thousand, thousand times. I get deeper with God. I get deeper with Jesus when I'm studying the Bible with somebody. Because I'm going over the... Just the things that stirred my heart, I'm doing it again, I'm sharing it, and it just makes it so much more real. And it's hard to be in sin and to be hypocritical. Most of us, our consciences won't let us just sit there and be a hypocrite and talk to other people when our whole lives are messed up. We realize, i got to get my life right. One of the make-every-effort passages Josh read last week, we read it here at the beginning Remember, add this, add this, add to that, you know. There's the, there's the whole stack. We start with faith and we add goodness and knowledge. But if you read the next passage, verse 8, it says, If you possess these qualities in an increasing measure, they're going to keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord. It says, you're, it's not that you're going to fall away. It's not that you're going to, you know, lose your salvation. What happens is it says you're going to be ineffective and unproductive. Which means I, I can become a Christian, and you know how maybe you've experienced this. I've, I've, I grew and it was incredible, but then I kind of plateaued. And I've just kind of been stuck at this plateau. And I'm not really growing anymore. And then Satan comes in again, and he's whispering these things in our ears. He's saying, Well, the reason is, is you're just not that good. Matter of fact, you're broken. Probably beyond repair. And maybe God doesn't love you that much. I mean, he loves those guys that much. But I don't know about you. If, maybe if he loved you, you'd be growing. Or maybe Satan's going to say, Christian, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. None of these things which are true. But we start feeling them. Why? Because I'm not increasing. The word is being ineffective and unproductive. Because I've started cutting it off. We've got to get other people in our lives, deeply involved in our lives, and we need to get involved in their lives. That's how you add all these things, and you have them in increasing measure. When we don't have them, we plateau. And the best thing about it is, do I like the music this morning? 
Is the sermon any good? Did that really get me fired up or not? And that's about it. We need to make ourselves available. We need to make ourselves for others being involved in our lives and for us, for you, to be involved in others' lives. We need to all make ourselves available to help ourselves and to help others. To help us emotionally, being friends, being a support. But also help spiritually. And that's another reason why we're doing this. Because we got a lot of groups that sit around and I'm not negative or critical on it. But it's only part of the thing because we just talk about emotional things and support one another. Which is important. But are we helping each other grow spiritually? Are we helping each other really be more like Jesus? Or are we just supporting one another? Again, which is important. But it's not really the discipleship of helping me to be like Jesus. Or do we just get all fired up about the latest, cool, neatest uh, uh, Bible nerdery that's out? Because that's really cool too. That gets me all fired up. Doesn't help me grow in anything. Doesn't change my life. But it really is cool. We need to make ourselves available. Say, so you know what? Like, like the, one of the D groups I shared about, I, I'm in. There's 10 of us. Say, guys, that's too many. We have great conversations, though. We have great discussions that last for an hour and a half. But it's too many. We've got to cut it in half. Why? So we can get down to each other's lives. We've got time. We've got space. And I love some of the other groups that meet as a group one week and then one-on-one -on -one the next week and group one week and one-on-one -on -one the next week. Some groups are doing that. That's what I'm talking So we can get down into each other's hearts and lives so that we can see to it and make every effort. No one has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God that we can see to it and make every effort that no one misses the grace of God. It's harder, but it's better I ask us all, surrender that authority and say, help me, help me be more like my Lord Jesus. Amen. Yeah.